I have been uh, looking at a short story in the New Testament. Um, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John delineate the life of Jesus Christ and His times and the teaching of our Lord. Now that's the story of Jesus. That's the story that has the greatest impact on this world that any story has ever had. This world has changed dramatically by Jesus Christ. And the, the, the whole story can be found on the pages of the New Testament. The life and times of Jesus is found in the four Gospels. And embedded in those four Gospels, which are fairly short, are some short stories. And one of these short stories is found in Luke chapter 5. And that's the one we want to look at. Now, this is, this is the, the text where Jesus approaches on the Sea of Galilee. And he, he comes into the vicinity where there, there's some fishing going on. Now, in order to fully understand what was happening, we probably ought to introduce something about the area where they were fishing. This, this is a story about four fishermen. Simon, whose name was Peter as well, Simon Peter, Andrew his brother, James and John, a pair of brothers also, who were partners with uh, Simon and, and Andrew in the fishing business. The story takes place on the far northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now that's the Sea of Galilee in, in the illustration we have. And probably at the far north end of this is, is where it took place. This is called the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Kenethret or the Lake Tiberias or Lake Genesaret. It is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. 695 feet below sea level. About 141 feet deep, 13 miles long and about 8, eight miles wide. Below it is the lowest lake, and it's not a freshwater lake, it's, it's called the Dead Sea, or the, or the Salt Sea, and it's about 1,300 feet below sea level. But this lake was a, a lake that was teeming with fish, all types of fish. Three major types of fish that we are aware of were there, and they were available for fishermen. The first one was basically the food fish, which is called talapia, and it's now called the St. Peter fish. Sometimes this fish will have something in its mouth that is unanticipated, like a rock or even a piece of metal, like a corn, a coin. It has few bones. It measures about, at the longest, about 18 or 20 inches long, and three to three and a half pounds in weight. This was the, this was the commercial fish. Then there was another fish called a bonny fish that was like our catfish. And it was called that because it had whiskers. And uh, this, this was not as, as uh, desirable as the St. Peter fish because this fish had more bones and wasn't as tasty. Then there was another smaller fish that was like our sardines. And that's probably the fish that Jesus used when he fed the uh, 4,000. When it says that the, he, in Matthew chapter 15, where he found the lad that, they found the lad that had seven loaves and a few small fishes. These, these were usually, uh, preserved in, in, uh, brine, salt water, and they were, they were, uh, dried. 
the fishermen that were fishing at this point were probably fishing for the larger fish, for the tilapia. It was a major industry at that time. A lot of people made their money in the fishing industry. And because of this, as, as being such an occupation, it was licensed. The Roman government licensed fishing, just like people have to license fishing today. And I saw on TV this morning, just, just quickly got a glance of a lot of people out on boats wanting to start fishing. Well, that's, that was what was happening then. They had to license it, and because it was licensed, it was also taxed. And the tax collectors usually set up their booths close by, so when the fishermen caught the fish, they immediately paid the tax. And that's, of course, uh, Jesus found a man named Levi, who later, later became known as Matthew, as one of the uh, apostles. He was a tax collector, a publican and a tax collector. Now, fishers worked out of boats, generally. Sometimes they worked off the shore. They had nets. For instance, the first time Jesus encountered these men, this isn't the first time in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus encountered Peter or Simon or John and James. He had encountered them before. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 1, when Jesus was baptizing, in the river Jordan, if you look at the map, Jordan flowed south out of the Sea of Galilee and went south down to the Dead Sea. And about 15 or 20 miles below the Sea of Galilee is where John was baptizing and Peter was there and his brother Andrew. And, and Andrew had, had gone to Peter and said, I've, I've found the Christ. That the account is found in John chapter 1. So Peter was not unfamiliar with Jesus. He knew who he was. Later, Peter had apparently gone back to his occupation of fishing, and so had his brother Andrew, and so had John and James, and Jesus had encountered them again, and the account is found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, I believe it is, 16 through 18 through 20. And at that time, Jesus had found Peter and his brother Andrew casting a net from the shore. So they were throwing a net out in the shallow waters and pulling fish in. And nearby, James and John were in a boat with their father, Zebedee. And they were fishing out of a boat. Peter and Andrew were fishing on the shore. Somehow, in between all of the things that had gone on and all the records that we read in the New Testament will give us information at various times of what was going on in the lives of these men. Sometime in between the time when Jesus first encountered these men, Peter and Andrew, James and John formed a partnership. First of all, Peter and Andrew were fishing off the shore with the net. And it was sort of like a loop and they'd throw it out and drag it in. And they would get the small fish. James and John were fishing in a boat with their father. But sometime, sometime between the time of Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 5, Mark chapter 1, that details these events, these men must have formed a partnership because now they, were, they both had boats. Simon and Andrew had a boat. James and John had a boat. And the text says at the end of Luke chapter 5 that they were partners. They formed a partnership. So when Jesus approached them, 
And that, that's what we, we read in the, the first part of Luke chapter 5. And if you have a New Testament, it, it might be enjoyable for you to open your New Testament and read in Luke chapter 5 and see what was going on. Because it tells us that they were, both of these individuals, all four of these individuals, were in their boats when Jesus approached. When Jesus came, it's not as if these men were unaware of the presence of Jesus, but when he came, there was a large crowd following him. And when he came to the side of the boat, the side of the sea, near where Peter and Andrew and James and John were, he asked Peter if he could step in his boat and have Peter cast out a little ways so that he could speak to the crowd. Now, if you want to see what he said when he did that, you go back to Matthew chapter 13. And that's where he sets forth all the parables. He spoke the parables. So he he was going to speak and teach out of Peter's boat. So he stepped in the boat, and Peter cast out a little ways, and apparently everybody stopped what they were doing and listened to what Jesus had to say. These boats that they fished out of were something over 20 feet long, generally, with two oars, oar on each side for two men. They were two-man boats. And they, uh, they had nets that they used. Now, as we said before, when Peter and Andrew were fishing earlier, they were using a net from the shore. But this time, it says that they, they had nets that went between the boats. And these nets were generally about 100 feet long. Now, if you want to know how long 100 feet is, pace about 35 paces, and that gives you close to 100 feet. So these were rather long nets. They had two ropes, one on the top and one on the bottom, and the nets were in between, and the nets were graded. They had smaller uh, nets at the top down to the larger nets at the bottom, so that when they drew the fish in, they'd let the small ones go through and then catch the big ones. Now, the netting on the top had corks. We know that because archaeologists have, have discovered some of the ancient information that tells us that these nets on the top of the rope that were strung between the boats had floats on the top. And they had lead weights on the bottom so that the net was stretched. And it was about eight feet long. Six meters, I think someone said. So that they would stretch the nets between the boats and when, the, when they would move the boats, roll the boats, they would pull them along and catch the fish. And then they would, the boats would come together and they'd pull them in and, and uh, gather the fish in. When the sun arose, they fished at night. They didn't fish during the daytime. And the reason may have been because they would cast a shadow in the water and it would scare the fish, frighten the fish. So they, they fished at night and they fished all night when the sun went down until the sun came up. So these men had finished fishing for the night. And they were making their nets up, they're taking them up, and they're folding them up and wrapping them up and cleaning them because they were made of fibrous material that had a tendency to rot if it was left just bunched up and in the sun. So they washed the nets out thoroughly, and then they bunched them up so that they wouldn't rot, and then they would go home and have their breakfast and get in a cool spot and go to sleep and wait until the next evening so that they could go out and fish again. 
These people were most certainly tired. These fishermen most certainly tired because it was it was hard work. And they uh, they looked up. They saw Jesus. It wasn't as if they didn't know who he was because they had, they were familiar with him. They knew who he was. And here he came and had a large crowd following him. So he asked Peter, "Can I get in your boat?" And Peter let him in his boat. They let let they got off shore a little ways, and Jesus sat down, and he taught the multitude. So he was uh, he was in Peter's boat. They were Jesus was speaking. He was using that boat. And then after he got through speaking, he said, he told Peter, he said, "Launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Let's go fishing." Now. When he said launch out into the deep, we have to understand that, that it would take two boats to get out there. He would actually involve James and John as well. But they were close by. In order for them to launch out into the deep, they weren't fishing off the shore. They had to move both boats back out into the deep part of the, of the sea. Launch out into the deep. This, in, this involved rowing out and it's very strenuous to roll back out where they could put down their nets and fish. When he said launch out, he didn't say start up your little Evan Rude 15 horsepower and chug us out there. He said get a hold of the oars and pull on those oars and get us back out where we can fish. Perhaps there were other men and obviously there were other fishermen on the shore. I I would just assume that because this was an industry and this was a time of fishing. Obviously, there were other fishermen probably looking on and thinking, have these guys lost their minds? They're going back out to fish in the heat of the day. The the thing they're going to catch is probably a blinding headache and a sunburn, but they can't hope to catch any fish. But you know what Peter said? He said, Master, so he knew who Jesus was. He said, Master, we have labored all night and we haven't caught anything. Now when he used the term labor, what he was saying was, Master, we are exhausted. We are exhausted. Nevertheless, he said, at your word, we will fish. We'll go fishing. So they didn't. So the boats pulled back out into the water on what must have looked like a fool's errand to to everybody else, and they let down their nets. They complied with what Jesus said. They set their nets, which had to involve some severe and exhausting effort on their part again. They had to string those nets, because they had them already folded up, they had to string those nets again between the two boats and get their boats set so that they could capture the fish. Daylight fishing was unheard of. They had no expectation. And this is the point. These men had no expectation whatsoever of catching a fish. None. They didn't expect that. They weren't looking for surprises. They were simply doing what Jesus said do. Go back out and fish. Go fish. They were astonished, it says, when the nets filled with fish. Jesus rewarded them. Too many fish for just one boat. They called the other boat, which is close by, 
which is James and John, they called for the other boat to come help them. And they, they came in and they brought the fish in. Too many fish for one boat to hold. And at that point, Peter fell down at the feet of Jesus and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Well, what Jesus said after this was all over with is very interesting. And what was going on is very interesting. First of all, he didn't tell them to do something that they didn't know that they had already been able to do. They, had, they were fishermen. He didn't say, go out and catch some birds. He didn't so, say, let's go frog hunting. He said, let's go back out and fish. So he was telling them to do something they were already aware of how to do it. No, nothing unusual. He wasn't saying, jump off, jump off a cliff for me. He wasn't saying, go, go skin diving for me. He's saying, go back and do what you've always been doing. Go back and fish. Now, as we said before, these men had been fishing. They had fished off the shore before. They had fished in the deep before. They knew what fishing was all about. They had made a partnership with James and John. So they knew how to fish. They were fishermen. They knew exactly what they were doing. What Jesus was asking them to do was to do the same thing they'd always done all their life. Nothing different. Just do it in the daytime, which they weren't accustomed to doing. And they were exhausted. They were bone weary. But Jesus said, try it again. Do it again. And Peter said, I'm exhausted, but we're going to do it. So they went out and did it. And when they caught the fish, they were astonished. They were astonished. It just surprised them that it happened. And it says that when he, when he finished, he said, now I'm going to make you, I'm going to help you catch men. There's a difference here. The first time he talked to them in the book of Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1, the first time he talked to them about this, he said, I will make you fishers of men. This text says, I will make you catch men. There's a difference. He said, I'll show you how to catch men. Now, what happened to these guys? Well, they followed Jesus, and they followed Him up until the time that in Gethsemane, uh, He was praying for them, and the, the soldiers came to get Jesus, and the mob came to get Him, and they all forsook Him. Everybody, even the fishermen, forsook Him. And Jesus went to the cross by Himself. Now, He had already sent them out preaching the Word. In Matthew chapter 10, it says that He sent them out two by two, and then He sent them out another time in a group of 70 men, preaching that the kingdom of heaven is coming. So they'd already been doing that. They, they knew how to do that. Now then, now He's, he's telling them that I, I'm going I'm to have you, I'll, I'll show you how to catch men. So, the point we're making is, here is a time when Jesus is dying on the cross. He's, he's going to die on the cross. He's going to go into the grave. And when He comes back out of the grave, He meets these same men in, the, in Galilee in the same area. And He sends them out to do what? He sends them out to launch out into the deep and go preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. He's sending them out to do the same thing that they had been doing before with no luck. 
They had been preaching, and what happened? Everyone that they had preached to left. And now Jesus is telling them, after his resurrection, go back out and do it again. Do what again? What you've already been doing. You know how to do what I'm asking you to do now. And what happened? Well, they, they launched out into the deep. These men went out preaching the gospel, and they went everywhere preaching the word. They actually did. And you know what? People believed the gospel. People were baptized. 3,000 people were baptized on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached the gospel to them. So they were now catching men. But what were they doing? They were doing the same thing that they had already been taught how to do. They had launched out into the deep, and now then they were preaching, and it was working. It was working. They were catching. And they were astonished. Actually, if they would be astonished. It would astonish me if 3,000 people walked down into the water and wanted to be baptized into Jesus Christ at the, at the conclusion of a sermon. So, in Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 1, it says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs, wonders, divers miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will." The apostles went forth preaching the gospel. They were doing the same thing Jesus had asked them to do before. These men launched out into the deep and they let down their nets. Now, I've been reading this text for a while in Luke chapter 5 and thinking about it. I've thought about it for a long time. What, What application is there for me? What is he telling me to do? When he says, okay, Bill, launch out into the deep. Launch out. What's he, what's he asking me to do? Is he asking me to do something that, that uh, I'm unfamiliar with? Is he asking me to take a, a chance that, that I, I'm not sure of the results? I, I, I thought of the fellow by the name of uh, Julius Caesar. He was one of the uh, members of the triumvirate in Rome, the rulers in the Republic of Rome. And he decided he wanted to overthrow the Republic and become the emperor. He was, he was a, a, a general in the army, and he was north of the uh, Rubicon. And he, was, he had decided that he was going to come south and actually invade the city of Rome, and, and over, overpower the other two rulers. So it says that uh, when, he, when he crossed the Rubicon, that's, an, that's a phrase that we usually have, when you cross the Rubicon means that you go somewhere where you have risked everything. And there's a phrase that is generally associated with that, that uh, it is said that when he crossed the Rubicon with the 13th Legion, the Roman armies, he said the die is cast, which means he threw the dice, and it came up reading a certain way. He really wasn't sure of the results of what he was going to get. Now that's not what Jesus is asking us to do. 
He's not saying launch out in the deep. He's not saying cross the Rubicon. He's not saying take a big risk that you don't know has any rewards to it at all. What he's saying is go back and do what you know how to do. Really, isn't he? Now, we, we can find all sorts of excuses not to do what Jesus asked us to do. All sorts of excuses. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, there's a, there's, a, there's a little parable, part of the parables of Jesus. And he says, Whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken unto him uh, to a wise man that built his house on a rock, and the rain descended and the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. It was founded upon a rock. Then everyone that hears these things of mine doesn't do them, builds his house on the sand. Well, Jesus asked us to do things in our lives. What I want to assure you of is, he's not going to ask you to do anything that you are unfamiliar with. He's going to ask you to do what he wants you to do. He's going to ask you to, to serve him. And he's going to ask you to use your faith in order to respond to what he says. Now, again, Peter made an excuse. Here's the, here's the illustration I'm going to, going to use. Jesus said, launch out in the deep. Let down your nets. And Peter said, man, I am tired. I am bone tired. I am exhausted. Nevertheless, I'm going to go with you. Sometimes, Jesus asks us to do things that we're just so tired of trying that we don't want to do it again. Matthew chapter 18, Peter asked Jesus a question. He said, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus replied, 70 times seven. That's 490 times. Sometimes we get so disappointed with people and with, with wrongs that have been visited upon us that we say, I'm just, I, I can't forgive that person. I just can't do it. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us is what Jesus said. That's not unfamiliar, is it? So Jesus said, forgive them. We say, you know, I'm getting tired of this. I'm getting tired of forgiving. Why should I be abused all the time? Why should I have to forgive someone something? And yet Jesus is saying, hey, launch out into the deep. and Put your net down again. Try it again. Try it again. He tells us to go and preach the gospel to every creature. Tell them about Jesus. Tell your friend and neighbor about Jesus. Tell the story of Jesus. Well, you say, you know, I've told the story of Jesus to people. I've told my, my relatives, my friends, and they just don't want to hear. You know what Jesus said? Do it again. Launch out into the deep. Let down your nets. Do it again. Well, we can say, uh, man, I'm tired. I've done this before. I've tried this before. Forgive your neighbor. I've, tr I've forgiven them. They just keep coming back and do it again. You know, our enemies don't hurt us. Our enemies really don't hurt us. It's our friends who hurt us. And so when he's asking us to forgive someone, he's asking us to forgive our neighbor. He's asking us to forgive someone that we know that's close to us that has done damage to us. 
You say, I'm tired of that. I'm sick of that. I have tried and tried and tried, and they just it just doesn't make any difference what we do. They just keep coming back and, and repeating their, their crime, and it's just killing me. I can't do that anymore. Lord, I, I'm tired. I'm weary. I am exhausted. Well, there are other things that happen in our lives besides that that He tells us, but He's not asking us to do something that we don't know how to do. He wasn't asking Peter to go fly a kite. He wasn't asking Peter to go hunt down a ram in the, in the mountains. He wasn't asking him to trap a bear. He was asking him to go back and do, Peter, go back and do what you do all the time and you know how to do it. Just go do it again. And Peter's saying, okay, I'm going to do it. And we know, we know that there was success in that because Peter was astonished. It worked. Wow. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and he said, My Lord and my God, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. It worked. It astonished him. Now, sometimes when we think that we, we're not going to see any success at all in what we do, and they didn't think they were going to see any success, and sometimes we don't think we're going to see any success. The Bible says, Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So you say, well, I've tried it that way, Lord. I've tried and I've tried to seek you first. Uh, if I seek you first in my job, it might be that I can't always use the principles that are found in the New Testament. Maybe, maybe I, I, I just can't do it that way. I have to put other things first. I've got to put my career first. I've got to put my job first. I've got to put my education first. I've got to put my hobby first. I've got to put all these things first. And Jesus said, put me first. And we say, well, are you really asking me to leap out on faith and do something on faith? In a way, yes. But at the same time, He's saying, I want you to do something that you, you know you ought to be doing. That you've probably tried before. You've probably tried it before. But do it again. Sometimes this means that we have to abandon the, the easy way. What about telling somebody about Jesus? What about showing them that, that Jesus is the Savior? What about talking to somebody about Jesus Christ? And I think I'm talking mainly to people that are Christians. I'm probably not addressing anyone that has not given their life to Jesus Christ. So, I'm talking to people that have probably tried to tell a relative about Jesus. To tell a friend about Jesus. To tell a stranger about Jesus. And it hasn't worked. It just didn't work. And you say, well, I'm, I'm bumping my nose against a, a glass I can't, I'm not getting through. I'm going to quit. I'm not going to tell them about Jesus anymore. Let me tell you a story. God can surprise you, by the way. He surprised Peter. And it says, Peter said, it said Peter was astonished. <laughs> you do not catch fish in the middle of the day. Not after you've been fishing all night. You don't come out here in the middle of the day with the sun shining bright and catch fish. So when they caught fish, Peter was astonished. Let me tell you a story. There was a lady that we know. Her name was Helen Goffney. 
and uh, it's been 60 years since we've we've uh, first met them, something like that. And she was married to a Christian man. He was a uh, captain in the fire department in Los Angeles County. And he was a Christian, and she was a lukewarm believer, maybe not a believer much. Anyway, she went to another church, but she wasn't really involved in it that much. Now, I can tell this story because both of these people are dead. They're gone. But he, he was determined that he was going to go to church. He was going to meet every Sunday, Matthew, or Hebrews chapter 10, 25, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together or some. He read his Bible. He prayed. He went to church. He tried to talk to her about Jesus. He had wanted nothing to do with it. One day, she told him, when he left to go to church, she wanted to do something else on that Sunday, typically. And he knew. He tried and tried and tried and tried, but she wouldn't, she wouldn't budge. So she told him when he left the house, if you leave the house, I'll break every dish in the house. He went, and she broke every piece of glass in the house. Broke every one. He came back, and he cleaned them all up, and next Sunday, he went to church. She became a Christian, a good one as a matter of fact, kind of like Dorcas that you read about in Acts chapter 8. She, uh, she, would, she was a hairdresser and she would go to everybody's, go to all the rest homes all over Los, Los Angeles County, southern Los Angeles County. She would go to rest homes and do the hair of all the ladies that were there in the rest homes. And they began to sell vitamins. And she didn't sell as many as she gave away. She gave vitamins to everybody. She was kind of like a Dorcas. She, she passed away up here some time ago. But the point is that Vern went ahead and cast out, launched out in the deep, and he was astonished when she gave her life to Jesus Christ. She did. It happened. Another illustration that is not as close to me as, as, as that one was, Another illustration I read about was a, was a lady who had uh, four kids, three, three very healthy kiddos. And then she had the fourth one, and the fourth one was so ugly, I mean obscenely ugly, that she would not take it home. She left it in the hospital. She would not take that baby home. He was grotesquely ugly. He had a protuberance on his face that was just, just messed him up. She wouldn't take him home. Anyway, they got, her to, they got the baby and, and took it home anyway and gave the baby to her. And she didn't want it. She didn't want to have anything to do with that baby. This continued on and on. She knew how to raise a child. She'd had three other children. She knew that, that uh, she knew what to do with children. But she didn't want this one. Eventually, eventually she started taking care of the baby. Eventually, she took the baby in and took care of it. And you'd say, well, did that affect the kiddo? Did that affect the little guy? It was a little boy. Did that affect him? She, she just kept on. She did what she knew she had to do. She basically, she launched out. And she took the baby to herself and eventually she, she held it close and raised it. So, she overcame a lot of prejudices she had. 
This, this guy is a journalist now, and he has a family of his own. He's still pretty ugly, but, but still she eventually accepted him and brought him into her family. You know what? That's astonishing to me. That's astonishing to me. God can astonish you. He can astonish you by bringing about what you don't think is going to work. He can tell you, excuse me, He can tell you what to do. He can take the light of heaven and shine it on you and say, here's what I expect you to do. I expect you to forgive this person. I expect you to love your neighbor. I expect you to return good for evil. And you know all of those things, and you've probably tried it before. You've probably tried all of these things before, and at some time in your life you you said, Lord, I've already been fishing in that hole, and it's empty. I I didn't catch anything. I don't want to go back. But it may be that he will astonish you, because he does astonish you in in so many different ways. He can fill your net with fish. The Christian places God first, family next, neighbors next, and country next. So we have that order of, of, uh, of, of uh, love that we have in our lives. We want to place God first in everything, and maybe it's not going to work out, at least we don't think it's going to work out. But he's not asking us to do something we don't know how to do. He's just saying, do something my way and let me astonish you with it. Let me astonish you. And when you are astonished, you'll see the results. And I don't know what they might be. I'm not sure what the results might be in your life. Blessed are thee when you and all men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Someone says, and I've heard this say, said so many times, I'm not sure that I can, I can give my life to Jesus Christ because I'm not sure that I can stick it out, that I can stay the course. And so I'm afraid to start something that I, I don't think I can finish. And yet, Jesus said, start, come on, let's go fishing, let's go back where you've been before. Someone else st- stands up and says, well, you know what, me and my girlfriend or me and my boyfriend are living together. And the reason we're not married is, we're not sure. We're just not sure that it, it will endure. Well, we know what marriage is. If you come from a family, you know what a marriage is. You say, yeah, but there's been lots of disappointments in, in marriage. Here's a person who says, I'm, I'm not going to get married now. We're just going to live together because my folks got a divorce. What did Peter say? Hey, we've been fishing out there all night. Didn't catch anything. Jesus said, go try it again. So here's a person who said, I, I'm just not sure I want to get married because my folks got a divorce and marriage doesn't last. You know what Jesus said? Launch out into the deep. Go get married. That's where you ought to be. Marriage is honorable among all. And it doesn't make a difference. Maybe you've looked at it and you said, well, that hasn't worked before. It works, my friends. Let God astonish you with it. You know, that's, that's just one illustration. Another illustration has to do with our, with our job and what we're doing. We need to be honest in everything we do, obviously. And we need to make sure that, that we provide an honest living for our family and for ourselves. Make sure that, that we don't cheat anybody. Two brothers were in business together in the meat market. And one of them obeyed the gospel became a Christian. And the other didn't. 
And so someone asked the other brother who did not become a Christian, he said, why didn't you, you, you believe that Jesus is the Christ? And he said, yes, I do. He said, why weren't you baptized? And he said, well, we need someone to weigh the meat. What he meant was they had been cheating in their weight of the meat when they'd been selling it. Well, launch out in the deep. Quit doing that. Quit cheating and see if you can't earn an honest living with the Lord. That's not something you're unfamiliar with. There are people all over the world that can earn an honest living. You don't have to get involved in something that's shady and under the table in order to serve God. Be honest and upright and forthright and do what is right. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. And it may be that this isn't the thing that this society is comfortable with. The society today is going so far south, as it were, that, that we are out of step with they, what society accepts. Society accepts abortion. Well, what about the lady who says, I don't think I can raise this baby. I don't think I can raise the baby, so I'm going to get an abortion. You know what Jesus would say to you? Launch out into the deep. Launch out into the deep. And He'll astonish you. He'll amaze you as to what the success and what the, what the result will be. There's so many different illustrations we could use along that line. God is not asking you to do something that you do not know how to do. He's asking you to, to follow Him. To put Him first. To put His will first. His law first. His guidance first. He's asking you to read His Word. Fill your heart with His Word. He's asking you to step out and follow Him. And you're saying, well, I've tried this. If you've tried it before, you know what? Try it again. I've been so disappointed with people. Someone says, I've been so disappointed. They've hurt me. Well, you know what Jesus said? Go get hurt again. That's what He says. Let yourself be hurt again. Launch out in the deep and watch how I can astonish you. God help you do that very thing. Launch out in the deep and be astonished by what God can do for you.